1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. This is the word of God. Let's, uh, let's pray together before we get started. God, we thank you just for this, uh, this moment and this time. And uh, at least on the level of the surface of what we see with our physical eyes and things that are going on here, uh, it may not seem like very much, but we also know that uh, when your Holy Spirit dwells not only within us, but as your people gather together to come and to not only worship you, but to hear from you and to sit under your word, uh, we know that there is great spiritual power and uh, you are working and doing things within us and within our hearts. And so we pray, God, for that power. We pray for your voice to be clear to us. We pray, God, that you would reform and shape our desires, uh, change our perspective, and allow us to see the world and see ourselves and to see uh, life the way that you see it, uh, that we might live with greater purpose, greater meaning, greater joy, greater peace, greater love, a greater sense of what it means to be your child. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are uh, here for the first time, or maybe you haven't been here for a while, uh, we've been actually talking about the Holy Spirit for a few months now. I think we started this series all the way back in September, and we are getting closer to the end of this series. And uh, I guess in the third part of the series, one of the things that we have been doing is we've been covering uh, what is usually called spiritual gifts. And the way that I've done that is we looked at this portion of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to 14. And, you know, there's actually a lot of other passages that might deal with the idea of gifts, like Romans 12. And Romans 12 talks about gifts of service and gifts of teaching and exhortation and generosity and leading and mercy. Uh, but what I wanted to do specifically for our church and our congregation 
is I wanted to talk about some of the gifts that maybe we uh, usually do not talk about. Uh, you might call them some of the more extraordinary gifts or the extraordinary manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of tongue. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at the gift of prophecy, and today we're going to look at the gift of tongue. Uh, some of you, I think, are familiar with speaking in tongues, uh, and when we've had people come up here and share testimonies about the Holy Spirit and their encounters with the Holy Spirit, many of the testimonies actually shared about how they had an experience of starting to speak in tongues. Some of you may have maybe just had one single experience, and maybe you weren't sure uh, what that meant, and you weren't sure where to go from there, but you do remember that one single experience. Others, uh, maybe you regularly pray in tongues, and it's just a part of your um, daily spiritual practice. But I also know that there are probably some of you, if not many of you, who maybe not, do not understand what speaking in tongues is and may even think it's a little bit strange or a little bit weird. Uh, today, I'm actually pretty comfortable being around people who pray in tongues, but you know, I wasn't always comfortable with it. Uh, my first memory of it, I was a freshman in college, and uh, I had just become a new believer my senior year in high school. Uh, I grew up uh, in a Presbyterian church, which did not do such things. And I went to this college retreat. Um, it was called Oil, One in Love. It's like this huge college retreat from all these different colleges and campuses. And uh, at this college <laughs> retreat, it was like incredibly intense, right? My first time experiencing anything like that. And there was this time of prayer. So uh, someone was leading us in prayer. And so, okay, I, I you know, fold my hands. And I start to pray, and the way I would pray is like I just pray silently in my head. But then I would like start hear some like strange like things coming out of people's mouths, and I was like I don't understand what they're saying, but okay, right? And then uh, people would come around and pray for other people, and uh, somebody like someone I actually went to the retreat with, he came and he put his hands on me and he started praying loudly in tongues. And I was like, oh, I know for sure that's not English, right? I don't understand what he's saying. And I was like a little, I was like, what? Uh, I, I don't know what that is. What is that? And so I got so weirded out that uh, you know, after a little bit, I was like, man, I can't focus. So I just left the room and it was in the winter. It was like a winter retreat. So I went outside and it was like into the cold. And I was like, I'm gonna just pray by myself, right? I am sure there's some people in here, if you've ever uh, heard somebody praying in tongues, maybe that's kind of how you feel. You're like, I don't know what's going on, and it's a little bit weird, and uh, I'm not sure. So I just share that because uh, even though some of you I know are comfortable with this, uh, I can also understand it if there are other people who are not really sure what to make of it. And you might be wondering, what is it exactly? Why, why do people do it? What purpose does it really serve? And today, I kind of want to cover some of that, and I hope some of these responses will be a little bit helpful in terms of uh, what this passage says. Now, I also want to set this passage in the right context because let me remind you, Paul, he is addressing a specific situation that is taking place in the Corinthian church where this community is divided over some of these spiritual gifts. And so Paul, he's not necessarily giving this complete manual on spiritual gifts, but he is giving wisdom and insight into how we should approach spiritual gifts. And I think the driving force is or the driving principle is love that's first corinthians 13 without love he says spiritual gifts are useless including the gift of tongues so the last spiritual gift um or the, 
The last thing spiritual gifts should make someone feel is uh, you should not feel more superior than others if you have a particular spiritual gift. You should not feel inferior to others if you do not have a particular spiritual gift. Uh, because what that ends up doing is that divides the body. Love, I think, is what will make the exercise of spiritual gifts fruitful and encouraging and edifying uh, because love is what is going to allow these spiritual gifts to build up the body, okay? Now, first, uh, what are tongues? And I'm going to assume, uh, I know even though many of you may know what it is, I'm going to assume you don't exactly, somebody here doesn't know what it is and has never been exposed to it. So, uh, Believe it or not, the question, what is tongues, can be uh, a complicated question. And there's a lot of like, debate surrounding it, but I, I just want to keep it simple. Tongues is a language of prayer that is given as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I say it's a language of prayer because Paul says in verse 2, when one speaks in a tongue, they speak to God, which I think is describing uh, prayer. Now, when Paul is referring to tongues in this passage, I don't think he's talking about uh, an already existing language, uh, an already existing human language. I actually think he's talking about a language that comes from the supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit. So you can kind of call it like a, a heavenly language. And that means it is not necessarily this intelligible language that we will understand. And that's why when Paul gives the instruction that you should not speak in tongues in a public gathering like this without proper inter interpretation, because... Nobody will be able to understand what you're saying. So even though the person who is speaking in tongues won't necessarily understand it, that is why in verse 13 Paul says, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. Now if something is not intelligible to us or understandable to us, then you may wonder, okay, then what purpose does it serve at all? If it's something that's not intelligible to us, then how can it be edifying at all? But that presupposes, I think, that the only things that are meaningful and the only things that are uh, uh, edifying are things that are intelligible to us, but that's not the case with many things in faith and in life. The mind, of course, is important, and we should not neglect the mind. Uh, we should not be irrational, but I do think that there are some things in life, and especially in Christianity, that are transrational, that go beyond the limitations of what we are able to understand. And so even though tongues may not be intelligible without an interpreter, it says it, it is something that God receives. That's why, again, verse 2 says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for nowhere, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. Now that word mysteries, I want to hone in on that word for a minute, and I think it's important when we think about the practice of speaking in tongues. Uh, part of being a Christian, I think, means embracing mystery. Uh, let me give you an example from... Uh, somebody of the Catholic tradition, Stephen Colbert. You know, Stephen Colbert is a devout Catholic, and uh, he was having this conversation with the comedian Pete Holmes. I don't know if you know who Pete Holmes is, but uh, uh, Pete Holmes was basically interviewing Stephen Colbert and eventually got to a point where he started asking him about his Catholic faith. And Pete Holmes asks him, uh, so you're, you're a Catholic. Does that mean you believe in transubstantiation? What is transubstantiation? Well, it's the Catholic belief that when you partake in the Eucharist, which you know we're going to partake in communion a little bit later, the bread and the wine are actually transformed and literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. And so for, from a Catholic perspective, the reason why Mass is so important is because how do you get more of Jesus? Well, it's actually you physically consume him through the elements of the uh, bread and the wine. So... <coughs> 
Pete Holmes is like, uh, so if you're a Catholic, does that mean you believe in transubstantiation? And Pete gives like this puzzled look and uh, you know, Stephen Colbert says, yeah, I do believe in transubstantiation. And then Pete Holmes says, but you can see it's, it's a wafer, right? Everybody's <laughs> like laughing. Uh, now, of course, I don't believe in transubstantiation. Protestants usually don't, but uh, I thought Stephen Colbert gave a great response to the question and to the look of puzzlement. And he said this, he said, well, uh, transubstantiation is a mystery to me. And I think that's the point of it. He said, it's no more of a mystery than uh, creation itself, how something could come out of nothing and how God could create something out of nothing. That is a mystery as well. And transubstantiation is mysterious to me in that same vein. But the element of mystery is important to me because mystery is what fills me with awe Mystery is what allows me to approach God with humility. I thought that was a great response, you know. Uh, mystery doesn't necessarily mean it's something that's irrational, but it means that it is something that is so beyond us that it transcends the limitations of our mind, the limitations of our understanding. And some people think, you know, uh, if you, ha you want to become a Christian, you kind of have to suspend your mind in order to believe in Christianity, but I don't think that's true. God created reason. God created our minds. He created it so that we can know him and so that we can know what is true. But with that said, there is a limitation to our mind. Um, we're human. We're not God. And that's why some things will remain a mystery to us. And you see, without understanding these limitations, uh, we become like the people in Genesis chapter 11 who thought they could reach God uh, by simply building this Tower of Babel, right? Mystery is an important part of maintaining, I think, the distinction between who God is and who we are. And so when it comes to speaking in tongues, I think we have to submit uh, there is going to be an element of mystery to it, an element that we don't understand. Paul says the one who speaks in tongues utters mysteries in the spirit, and I think we should embrace that mystery. Now with that said, the caveat is when it comes to corporate gatherings like this, what you say to others should be intelligible because it's the loving thing to do. If I were to speak to you in another language that you did not know, uh, you would be incredibly bored, <laughs> right? And you would say, why is he speaking to me in a language that I don't know? And kind of in a similar way, what is being considerate of others? What is being loving towards others uh, is to speak in a way that is intelligible to everyone so that they can be built up. So it may sound like Paul is kind of downplaying the gift of tongues here, but he's not. He's just saying, look, in a corporate gathering, use spiritual gifts in the right way and one of the loving ways to use your spiritual gifts is to make sure everybody can understand and follow along with what is being said so that they can be built up. Now, <coughs> so if tongues is this uh, heavenly language, uh, let's ask what, what purpose does it serve uh, to speak in a tongue? Or to put it a different way, uh, why would anyone want the gift of tongue at all, right? If you look at verse 5, Paul says he wants it for the Corinthians. He says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. He actually says, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's something that he wants people to have. And that tells us that Paul considers speaking in tongues to be a good thing. But why is it a good thing? And as I, as I said before, uh, tongues is the language of prayer, and we can use tongues to pray, to worship, and to give thanks to God. And it is also a gift that is received by the supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit. 
So instead of asking why would anyone want that gift, we should probably ask the opposite of why anyone wouldn't want this gift. Uh, I think many of us, <coughs> uh, we probably struggle with prayer, right? Because prayer is hard work. It is. Uh, I think we kind of grow up thinking prayer is supposed to be uh, really easy, and then we try it, and we try to be consistent in it, and we, we struggle, right? Some prayer can be very difficult for us. Sometimes we just don't feel motivated to pray. Sometimes we, uh, we lose steam when we pray. Sometimes we don't even know what to say in our prayers. So what if the Spirit can help us when we pray, right? Not only that, what if the Spirit could help us pray the kinds of prayers that He wants us to pray? <laughs> I think that's why tongues is such a good gift. It helps us to pray. You know, for a moment, <clears throat> Let me move away from talking about tongues and let me just talk about uh, experiencing the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you experience the presence of God in a very powerful way, uh, time seems to fly by, I think. And here's what I mean. I think for many of us, uh, if we had a prayer meeting that lasted uh, two hours, uh, if we're honest, for many of us, that would probably be torture, right? Two hours of praying, just praying. Uh, it would feel like torture because prayer is a struggle. Maybe we can pray for 20 uh, minutes. Maybe we could pray for 30 minutes uh, because we could think of things that we ought to pray for and we're primarily praying with our minds. If you grew up with this acronym, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, then you say, all right, I know how to pray. I know the things to say. Let me go through that list. Let me adore God. Let me confess my sin. Let me give Thanksgiving and let me offer a supplication. But then after a while... <coughs> Uh, your mind is just going to be like, okay, what do I pray next? Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in that situation? Um, but then you hear someone share a testimony about how they spent hours and hours in prayer, and you have to think, how in the world can someone pray that long when I am struggling so much w with prayer? Or I just kind of run out of things to pray. I just can't recall everything that I need to pray for. And more often, they will say that it actually didn't feel like they were praying for hours because time just flew by. Now, I believe that happens when we have this encounter with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we experience God's presence, there is no greater experience of peace and joy and hope and love. And God's presence has this powerful potential to lift us out of a place of darkness, to fill us when we feel empty. And when you experience that, you just don't want it to end. Now, let me return to the gift of tongues. When you hear people share their testimony about an experience with the Holy Spirit, uh, sometimes they might say uh, they just started to pray in tongues. And not only that, you also sometimes hear them say uh, they prayed for hours, and when they stopped, they looked at their watch, and they didn't realize how much time has gone by. And I think the reason for that is because in that time of prayer, it was so sweet and so delightful, and so enjoyable. Um, and anytime you enjoy something, right, time just flies by. I think that's one of the reasons why tongues are a gift. Uh, it helps you persevere in prayer because that prayer is not necessarily energized by just your will, and it's not primarily energized by just your mind, but it is prayer that is energized by the Holy Spirit. You know, a few months ago, we looked at Romans 8 where Paul says the Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray for. And I think we have moments like that sometimes where uh, we don't know what to pray for all the time. 
Uh, when we are struggling, when we are going through something, when we are going through a trial, when we are at the end of our rope, when we just kind of are not sure what the right thing is, sometimes we don't know what to pray. And uh, maybe we think that our prayers are the efficaciousness of our prayers or the effectiveness of our prayers are based on whether we get our prayers right. But no, even prayer itself is a gift and the effectiveness of our prayers simply is on the fact that the Holy Spirit is also interceding for us on our behalf and especially in those times as it says in Romans 8 when we don't know what to pray. I think that's a great encouragement for those who have this gift. I'm going to say that you probably know what it means that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf and that becomes I think a great source of strength in your prayer life and you experience great delight when you pray. Now this is completely anecdotal Uh, This is just empirical. This is just my experience. But uh, I do tend to think that those who have the gift of praying in tongues, they love to pray, right? They are the prayer warriors. They just enjoy prayer so much. And I think part of the reason is because God has given them this gift. Now, with that said, it doesn't mean you lose all self-control when you pray in tongues. Otherwise, Why is Paul instructing those who speak in tongues to refrain from doing it in corporate gatherings unless there's an interpreter? Uh, He's not saying refrain from speaking in tongues because uh, the gift of tongues is a bad thing. He's saying refrain from doing it because in the end, it's not going to build anybody else up in the context of a corporate gathering because nobody can understand. And as Paul says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So tongues serve to edify the one who speaks in a tongue. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. So Paul's point is tongues are not bad, but uh, that gifts that edify others are better in this kind of context for other people. And so when it comes to our own edification, I think we should want this gift. I think we should want the gift of tongues so that we might be edified by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you are somebody who struggles with prayer, maybe prayer is not uh, delightful to you, perhaps one thing you should do is consider asking the Holy Spirit to give you this gift to help you in your prayer life. And if he gives it to you, then you might find out that your prayer life will be greatly strengthened. Now, uh, let me say something a little bit controversial. Uh, Some people believe that all Christians should have the gift of tongues, but I personally do not believe that. I don't think that's Paul's expectation here. Uh, I think some people will have the gift, and I think some people will not have the gift. Uh, Otherwise, he probably would have said something different than I want you all to speak in tongues. He probably would have said all of you should speak in tongues. All of you should ask for this or maybe assume that everybody is speaking in tongues. Uh, But he seems to recognize that not everybody will have this gift. Uh, And so with that said, I do not think that uh, everybody should feel pressure of like I need this gift. And, you know, sometimes that happens. It's like, um, you know, you have to speak in tongues. You need this gift. This actually happened to me. Uh, when I said I was going into ministry in seminary, uh, someone was like, you can't go into ministry unless you speak in tongues. And I was like really confused. I was like, why would you say that, right? But I, I get it because some people believe that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you and so you have to speak in tongues. I personally uh, don't have that view. I think some people will speak it and some people will not. But with that said, even though everybody may not have this gift, I do think all of us should want it. I think all of us should want it. Uh, because it can really help us in our prayer, it can help us to worship, and it can help us really express thanksgiving to God. You know, as with all kinds of gifts, we we have to be careful that we don't use these gifts improperly. 
And of course, that's the problem with this church, with the Corinthians. Those with certain spiritual gifts, they were elevated as being more spiritual than others uh, because they spoke in tongues in corporate gathering. Now, why would someone speak in tongues when nobody can understand them in a corporate context? Uh, probably one of the reasons, and the reason that was here is you want to show off your gifts and you want to feel s- spiritually superior to others, to those who don't have the gift. And so Paul is trying to give a corrective to that. I think it's the same reason why Jesus says to pray in secret. We don't pray uh, or use our spiritual gifts to build ourselves up and to uh, elevate our status and to make people think highly of us, but we use these gifts to commune with God or to build up others in love. And praying in tongues for the sake of showing off one's spirituality, that does create an unhealthy environment. And I think it does make it a challenge for people who really do want to pursue these gifts to do so with a right heart. Um, And so if you desire a gift because you have maybe some kind of insecurity about, oh, I'm not a great Christian and my faith is lacking, and you pursue a gift from that perspective, then you start to pursue the manifestations of the Holy Spirit rather than the person of the Holy Spirit himself. And that's never a good thing. And so when we pursue gifts, rather than pursue the gifts, what we want to do is pursue the giver of these good gifts, and that should be our focus. So how do we do that? If we are going to do that correctly, we have to get one thing, probably more than one thing, but at least one thing absolutely right. You know what that is? Grace. You have to have grace right. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, even in that verse, you see this connection that the Apostle Paul is making between grace and a gift that God gives. Now, I've said this in a previous sermon, but from the very beginning of the Bible, God is a God of grace, meaning that God is someone who is giving. After God creates man, he basically says to him, I am going to give you everything in this garden. All of this is yours except for that one tree. Just don't eat from that one tree. But everything else I am going to give to you. I have this uh, Old Testament theology book, and uh, it breaks up the Old Testament story in the framework of gifts. So every chapter is called the gift of, right? So the gift of covenant, the gift of land, the gift of offspring, the gift of the law, the gift of kingship, gift of temple, the gift of wisdom, and so on and so on. So you can understand the entire story of the Bible from that perspective of gift. And the problem is not that God does not want to give good gifts to his people, but more often than not, the problem is his people do not want to receive it with gratitude. I think that's the problem of the garden too. Right? Instead of receiving all the, all the things in the garden with gratitude, what did Adam and Eve do? They focus on the one thing that God says don't eat from, right? And yet, God doesn't turn away from those who reject his gift. Uh, He doesn't turn away from them forever, although there are moments where he does in the Old Testament. But you know what actually God does? He doubles down. (laughs) He doubles down by giving us perhaps the greatest gift of all in his son, Jesus Christ. You know, there's this parable in Luke 14. And in this parable, uh, it's about a man who, he he gives this great banquet, and this man, he invites many people uh, to come. 
and to participate in this banquet. And in the ancient world, you know, it was very divided by class status. So usually if somebody's going to throw a banquet, you invite people who are in your same class. So he's inviting people and he's saying, come to the banquet. But then the people who receive the invitation, you know what they say? They make up excuses and they say, oh, I can't come. Uh, I just bought a field and I have to tend to it. Oh, I can't come to the banquet. I just bought some oxen. I can't come to the banquet. I just married a wife. So it's kind of like the contemporary equivalent of somebody saying, oh, I can't come because I'm washing my hair, right? They're making up these lame excuses for why they can't come to the banquet. And so the man tells the servant, he says, well, go into the street and here's who I want you to invite. I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the parable is a great picture, I think, of how grace ultimately works. That parable is a picture of this great banquet that is going to take place in the end time feast. In other words, it's a picture of salvation. Now the problem in this parable is that people who were given the invitation, they don't want it and they reject it. But do you know who gets to take part in the feast? It's not the people who are affluent. It's not the people who are in the same class. In this parable, it is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame who get to partake in this feast. In other words, it is the very people in that society who had nothing to give, nothing to offer, and nothing to reciprocate to this man who is throwing this banquet. They are not in the same class. They don't have affluence. They don't have a high degree of abilities. They are simply at the feast because they were given an invitation and they accepted it. You know, when Jesus dies on the cross, there is this great cosmic shift that occurs and uh, the invitation is, is no longer to a single nation, to the nation of Israel, but the invitation gets sent to all nations and to all people. And those of us who know we are like the poor, that we are like the crippled, we are like the blind, and we are like the lame, will be eager to receive that invitation. Those of us who know we are like beggars who have nothing to offer to God will eagerly accept this invitation, <coughs> the invitation from the one who has everything to offer to us. And when we know deep in our bones that all that we are, all that we have, is a result of God's grace, is a result of God giving us good gifts, then we begin to see all we have to do is receive it, and after we receive it, steward the gifts with a deep sense of gratitude and love. That's the framework of gifts not to show um, I'm more spiritual than the other, but we're, we're beggars and we just want to receive it with gratitude and say, thank you, God. I have nothing to give to you, but thank you for giving it all to me. How appropriate that we are going to celebrate communion today. Uh, when I thought about this parable, I actually forgot today was communion Sunday. But let me, uh, let me just make a direct transition to this meal as we think about what it means to receive this meal. Um, you know, one of the reasons, um, you know, we could do this many different ways and uh, we can, you know, pass it out and things like that. But I think one of the reasons why we kind of do this slowly and we line up and we actually come to the table um, 
it's, it's more to reflect the kind of disposition of our hearts that we want to have. That we have been given this invitation by Jesus Christ, and he says, come. And as we come to the table to receive uh, the elements, to remember the broken body and blood of Christ, uh, it is as if we're saying, uh, I'm a beggar, and I want to receive, and I want to answer the invitation that Christ gives. And it's something that we have to do uh, constantly, daily, moment by moment, um, and understand that an invitation is given by our Lord Jesus Christ.